0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Finally, I figured out, took long, long time.
2: Hey, everybody. Today's guest is my old friend, Ken Block, lead singer and guitarist for the Gainesville, Florida band, Sister Hazel. Ken and I take a deep dive into Sister Hazel's breakout smash hit, All For You, taken from their 1997 album, Somewhere More Familiar. Ken and I go way back and it was great catching up and reminiscing about our early days in Gainesville, where both of our bands built up fiercely loyal followings, which helped propel us into other cities in Florida and eventually to the rest of the world. Ken tells a fascinating story about how he recorded the first demo of All For You, all by himself using the most primitive recording techniques. We talk about Ken's musical influences and how they can be heard clearly throughout this track, both from a musical standpoint and how the band layers their vocal harmonies. And, true to their grassroots appeal and continued touring, the band is still thriving to this day. For all this and much more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. lots of shared history with Sister Hazel, a fellow Gainesville, Florida band, and we do have similarities, you know, both of our bands when I was reflecting on on this episode, Ken, I was I was thinking we both really used Gainesville. We cultivated that area to launch our our respective careers. We we built that area up and I felt like I had made it in Gainesville before, yeah, <laughs> before anywhere else. I felt like I was our band was kind of becoming somebody, and I know you feel that way. And I want to talk a little bit for the listeners about about the history. Ken and Andrew, you guys were a singing duo, yeah, uh, before yeah. and during the beginnings of Sister Hazel. And yeah. it, it's funny, you know, you guys gigged everywhere. I remember seeing you at the Swamp, and my first impression was, you know, wow, these guys can sing. Thanks, man. You guys could sing your asses off, and and Ken and Andrew and and of course the Sister Hazel shows and Gainesville were great because you know during that time, less than Jake comes from the punk rock side, and there was a lot of factions of you can't listen to this music, and yeah. it's so funny. I remember going to like Florida theater and seeing you guys, and I'd run into some punk in back, like, "What are you doing here?" And it's because yeah. all the pretty, all the
1: pretty girls were at Sister Hazel shows. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look if you, We learned early that if you could get the girls to come, the guys would follow. You know, and and Gainesville loved a line. If you could create a line of people waiting to come in, people would be like, oh, what's going on there? What's going on there? We want to get in. You know, I grew up in Gainesville, so I didn't just come in for college. And uh, I had been in band. My first band was called Razor's Edge. And we were in a band called Scorcher. And then we played, you know, Judas Priest, Iron Maiden, Van Halen, uh, you know, all the uh, old ZZ Top stuff like that. And But I also grew up listening to a lot of uh, Simon and Garfunkel, James Taylor, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. My dad was a great musician, uh, in his own right, a keyboard player. So I always loved the, the storytellers, the harmonies, but I love the energy of the rock band. You know, I could scream pretty good. And what happened was a couple things happened in those early 90s. Also, I was a Southern rock guy. Like, I loved Skinner and Allman Brothers, you know, the, the uh, petty stuff. What was interesting about, you know, stuff for me was that I love that energy of the rock band stuff, but I also was mesmerized by storytellers and, and the way voices could, you know, captivate people and all that. And so a couple of things happened early in the 90s. One was these guys, Jack and Britain, who were in a band called Lips and Inside Out. They did a bunch of gigs. Jack now plays for Jason Aldean, a uh, wow. big country artist. Britain's a great songwriter. They started playing as a duo. And I remember thinking, God, man, is anybody going to go see, like, acoustic? You know, we were all playing rock music and ska music and, you know, high-energy stuff, and and people were coming out. And they were listening. I was like, God, I really, I would love to start doing that. So I started playing out. And then around that time, Bob McPeak called me. Bob McPeak, for those of you listening, worked at Mirror Image Recording Studios, and he was one of the key guys there. And he said, look, we're doing a compilation CD for an environmental trust fund called Gainesville (laughs) Axe. Remember that thing? I I, I do remember that. And so he was like, you know, I know you turn in stuff with Redline with your, you know, with your band, your heavier band, but I know you're playing acoustically now. Do you have anything? And I was sitting around that morning and I go, I go, actually, I do have something I've been working on. Well, can I finish it up? How much time do I have? He goes, tomorrow. And that (laughs) song was all for you. That I was wow. working on that, that morning. And so at that t- same time, I started playing out by myself originally, uh, separate from the band, watching Jack and Britton. And then I started writing uh, acoustic stuff. And Bob called that day and uh, it kind of opened the door for a lot of cool stuff.
2: Now, uh, for for the listeners, and Ken kind of told you a moment ago, Bob McPeak produced Less Than Jake's first record, Pezcore, and Bob was also there as a second engineer on our major label debut, Losing Streak. So, uh, of course, we have history with Bob and Mirror Image as well. Was that version a first version that
1: then was later recorded for the first self titled record? Okay, close. So let me tell you about when I was writing in the beginning, right? So I'm writing this song. And I had been listening to these Indigo Girls records and the way that they would work their harmonies and stuff. And I was like, um, man, I I really liked the back and forth and stuff. So I didn't have a multi-track player. I was living in a really, really shitty duplex across town. Um, (laughs) But I did have a couple jam boxes with cassettes. so I would like play. I'd be like, there's been times. And I'd leave it open. Uh, on oh. my road I'd leave it open And I'd play it and, and I'd leave all these holes And then I'd record it on that one Then I'd play that one back And hit record on another jam box And fill it in with Delete you You know And I just kept <laughs> stacking harmonies And I probably had about Eight or nine bounce backs Shitty little cassette But I mapped it out And the next day I went in Recorded it with Bob uh, And a guy named Tracy I forget Tracy's last name right now. But anyway, that demo made that Gainesville Act CD. And that was around the time I was playing, started playing with Andrew. And uh, I said, Man, if I'm going to record this again, I'll bring Andrew in. So he came in and sang with me. Then we used that version on the first Sister Hazel eponymous a CD.
2: Right, which that uh, record was on your own Croken Poets record label, came out in 1994, and then, of course, three years later, uh, Somewhere More Familiar came out, uh, and that record, in between that time, that had been three years of playing this song, and I remember, this song was a hit among among Gainesville, and this is a really, I'm up to, I don't know, something like 50 episodes now on the show, Ken, and this song was so interesting to talk about to me, because I don't think I've ever talked to an artist before about, like, in your heart, it was kind of a no-brainer that you had to re-record this song I mean especially when you you know I mean you put the record out and then universal picked it up but yeah. um did you know it was a hit in the sense that throngs
1: of people were singing this song before before it was ever on a major <laughs> I hate to say that but honestly what's a hit you know it's a hit I believe you definitely know when songs are special when they have legs or people respond to them. When I recorded that song the first time, I drove it over to my parents' house. Again, I lived in Gainesville. And I played it for my mom. And I went, If I never write another song, I got one. I go, I got one. This thing's got some kind of legs, right? So every time we play it out, people would request it over and over. And they were singing it back. And as we started Sister Hazel, you know, the guys would leave and they hated it because they'd leave and Drew and I would sing it. And um, and they were like, Man, let's let's play it as a band. And so I was like, let's start doing it as a band. So we just started planning as a band. And at that time, Chris, you'll remember there were a lot of tape traders. Remember those guys that would record. And so all of a sudden we'd show up at, you know, 40 watt or we'd show up at uh, somewhere in Charleston or Auburn. And they, we'd never been there before. And they were singing all for you and happy, which was another one of our songs at that time. And I was like, how do these people know these songs? And we were like, man, Uh, this thing's got some legs. And so it was pretty, it was, did we know it was a hit? I would say that we knew that people responded to it. And if we could get in front of people or get more ears on it, that it would resonate.
2: Yeah, well, that, that's a, that's really interesting that uh, you you talk about the, the tape trading. I mean, that was poor man's internet. Exactly. Was, you know, exactly. it really, it was it was analog internet. Exactly. You know, you you'd, uh, get a tape to some guy and you hear this song. And God, the worst part about that was you get a cassette that didn't have any writing on it. You didn't know who the hell it was. You'd spend five, ten years Trying and finally find you'd find it on YouTube. you are say, oh, my God, that's that band, you know. And exactly. Exactly. But there was something really cool and special. You just uh, jogged a memory. Less than Jake used to play a club in Columbia, South Carolina called Rockefeller. Oh yeah! And you guys were playing just up the street. You were doing like a street fair. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It was, yeah. It was like a Friday night, and Darren, our old sax player, and
1: I went over and when we we said hello to yeah, you guys that night. Absolutely. So let me tell you something about. Let me tell you an interesting story about Rockefellers. I had turned in that white CD. Hootie was just getting started up there in South Carolina. Yeah. And uh, I had sent, uh, actually, the cassette dating us up to Fishco, which was their company, to see if we could open some shows and open there. We were going to play at the theater in Gainesville, and I get a call from this girl, Lynn Oliver, and she goes, "Look, we've already filled that slot, but man, we just keep playing this this tape over and over, and we we love it. I'd like to help get you some shows up in the Carolinas," and she helped me get. Her first gig ever in the Carolinas, which was at Rockefellers, and um, she went on uh, to manage uh, Zach Brown, and now mm-hmm. she's managing a big country star named Luke Combs. And she was just like the intern at that time who liked it was just like us, loved indie music, finding stuff. And she got us a gig at Rockefellers with Art Bork or whatever that guy's name was, and got us a gig over in Charleston too.
2: What's so amazing about that is all those uh, little pieces of the puzzle along the way. You that's never
1: that. know, you know,
2: and, and, and that's something we prided ourselves. I know you guys did, too. We always tried to treat people with respect and, and uh, th- those who helped us would always give back. We want to talk about getting into the recording of this. I mean, was there any particular reason that it took three years in between releases? I know you guys were gigging a lot, yeah. you and Andrew and the band, yeah. but that, you know, bands were putting out records a little uh, quicker than... Um, the first record was released in 94. February twenty fifth, 1997, somewhere more familiar, was released. It went on to sell 30,000 copies in that initial pressing, which led to, to the Universal deal. Universal Records signed the band. So I know that Paul Ebersold, uh, whose p- producer credits are Three Doors Down, Skillet, Saliva, Third Day, uh, etc., how did Paul come into the fold and... I guess I'm going to ask. I mean, I know you guys were doing halfway decent, but you didn't have any backing. How were you paying this producer to do an independent record?
1: Well, a couple things happened. One was Ryan, our guitar player, and I really loved this record by a band uh, called Sonia Dada, and we were just looking at it, and uh, and, w- and we were like, "Man, this guy gets great tones. I love the sound of this. Very different band than us." But and it said Paul Ebersold and Andy Levine, who was uh, he ran Rickenbackers managed us for the first 10 years and he was in a band called water dog that jet our bass player had been in and they recorded their first cd with paul ever when he was first getting started and so they called paul and said hey you know this band's got some legs they're doing some stuff let's send you some some uh tapes they really like it and so we went up there uh, we stayed in a little red roof, in um, all of us in one room, as you know the deal. <laughs> and uh, we recorded that whole record in, I don't know, about 14 days, probably two weeks. This would have been late, late 96 or so. Yeah. The, uh, er- earlier 96, I think, because we put it out um, ourselves first. And then, yeah. And then, and then after we sold whatever, uh, I think 30,000 copies of that independently, the record company pulled it. So we could remix all for you. We just wanted to remix it for radio. And uh, we did a couple other tweaks, but that was it. But uh, yeah. Paul then went on to do Three Doors Down. The saliva guys and all that were, I think they're from Memphis.
2: So I guess he was kind of unknown. You, you guys kind of gave him a, a start, essentially, or got, got his name out there.
1: He had made some good records, but we were his first platinum record. Um, gotcha. And Paul's, he's he's a great guy. Uh, real old school, you know. He and I, we were both super ADD, so it would take us a long time to get through things sometimes. But uh, but it was <laughs> most of good... us musicians are, right? I know, man. We got so much stuff <laughs> bouncing around in here. Um, but yeah, Paul's a good guy,
2: and he went on to make some great records. That's awesome. So. Uh, we're going to jump into the track. Now the song is three minutes and 39 seconds, and I don't get too much into this, Ken, but I want to talk to the listeners and talk to you about this. Um, uh, for the listeners that don't know a capo is a little device that you put on the neck of a guitar and you can, uh, put it on different frets so you can play open chords and and, and change the the key of the guitar. Uh, I noticed on the record that, uh, it's capoed on the first fret and, uh, a flat is the first chord of the song, but live you do the song in a. Yeah. Usually bands will, will tune down so they can hit the <laughs> high notes. You guys tuned up live. Yeah. Was
1: there, what, what, What? what's going on there? Well, I think in the studio, whatever um, we tried it at different spots just to see where drew and I were both singing best together. And in that moment in time, It It worked best right there. (laughs) And, um, you know, I I think as we went on and I was singing a little harder for a while, we pushed it up. And now these days, I'm dropping it back down a little bit. So we'll play (laughs) with it, kind of depending on the night. They'll look at me and be like, up or down or what? I'm like open. That's I want to. I want
2: to even say I heard a, ver- a live version, maybe in G, another one. But I, I distinctly put, you know, when I'm I'm reviewing these songs for episodes, I'll go through and listen to live versions, yeah, and their differences, and I'm I'm like, this sounds weird. I'm like, this isn't in the original key. Yeah, so, and it's weird.
1: Okay, on one. Yeah, it's kind of strange yeah. to do that, but that's just where our voice sounded best at that time. Right on. Well, there's
2: a, a chord strum that starts the song. There's some arpeggiated little yeah. picking, then that same strum happens and bam, you're right into the to the first verse.
1: Finally I figured out, but it took a long, long time. Now that by,
2: maybe... Finally I figured out, but it took a long, long time. Now there's a turnabout, maybe because I'm trying. Mm-hmm. So this song that you were uh, uh, doing the poor man's uh, uh, multi-track on your boom boxes that you played to mom and dad, what's
1: the inspiration here for these lyrics? I had been in a pretty long-term relationship, but again, I grew up in Gainesville, and I had all these friends that I'd known since I was a kid, and all of us were going through relationship stuff. So it wasn't really about one person, but we, I was having a lot of conversations with people who were they were breaking up and getting back together. But what I was talking about through there was when you commit instead of one foot in and one foot out, You know, once I start trying and I'm fully in, things seem to start going a little bit better. And uh, uh, I was hearing these stories from everyone. This is like a common theme. Uh, everybody kind of halfway in, halfway out. But once you kind of, uh, there's a turnabout because I'm, I'm in. And was
2: there ever... Uh, from the original demo that you were doing with Bob uh, when he asked you to do it, Bob McPeak, was there ever any lyrical changes or any arrangement changes to this song, or is this pretty much what it was?
1: The only arrangement change was, I think on the first version, when Andrew came in and sang the first time, he would sing the first line of the answerbacks. Ah, you do the call and response. Yeah, there's been times, and I'd be like, I'm so confused, and we switched it when we recorded it as a band. And I always give him shit because I'm like, America got to introduce to Drew by him going, I'm so confused. <laughs> <laughs> There's been time.
2: Guy who could sing the telephone book and make it sound <laughs> exactly. godlike, and, and that's, like, what you, that's what you give them. We're
1: gonna switch around and you're gonna sing that first.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and I didn't mean to cut you off earlier. You were talking about your influences that I have written down yeah. here the Crosby, Stills, Nash, uh, uh, of course, the Almond Brothers. It's oh, that yeah. southern roots rock that you can hear. And of course, being from North Florida, you're in Gainesville and, and your harmonies. And before we go any further, before I forget, I do want to talk about, you know, this record wasn't done to Pro Tools. It was 96. Oh, no, no, no. It's all I- Right. So... What I love about this song when I really, really was getting into to the nuts and bolts of it was just listening on how, and this this has become difficult for me, and I think you'll understand this with, with the advent of digital technology and Pro Tools and such, where there's sometimes when I'll look at vocals and they don't line up, mm-hmm. and I always remember to just listen with my ears, not look at the damn screen. You know, that's the beauty of this song is you and Andrew aren't locked Mm-mm. on harmonies and things. There's push and pull that gives it that human emotion and that's so hard for me to do now with the technology you want it to sound perfect but that's what lets
1: it breathe he likes to be a little tighter than i like it to be because sometimes it's hard to tell who's singing what with us and i really like it to be like that's definitely two guys that's not a guy overdubbing himself right there you know so i kind of like the way things don't land they don't start at the same time or end sometimes it was a different beast back then, for sure. But your eyes, you're right. If you see things not landing right, you want to line it up.
2: It'll play tricks on you because you think it's not right, but you listen to the, all of those bands that had the harmonies from the Eagles to Allman Brothers. They weren't perfect. They were perfect for what they were, but they, they were
1: perfectly imperfectly imperfect. And yes. My yes. favorite of those are uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac was great oh. at that. And Lindsey Butt, like they would, You know, they come in together, but it was just coming from different directions and and timbres and they would land differently. And
3: uh, I -hmm. I used to obsess on those harmonies. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis and spins mean everything. Now you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at Chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Yeah, and I can I can really hear hear that in your stuff, you know, and I went back and I was listening to some other tracks while I was doing this happy, change yeah, of yeah, mind. Yeah. I mean, you guys got that. That's just what what kind of, it's kind of your thing. It's really cool. Thanks, for um, you. the The first verse into the pre-chorus. There's just kind of like the side stick on the snare. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some spor- spor- uh, sporadic kick drums going on. Pretty simple, just kind of tucked down vibe. And we get into the, what I'm calling the first pre-chorus, which is the call and response part yeah. we were just discussing. And the lyric is, uh, there's been time. I'm so confused. That's where Andrew comes in. All my roads, well, they lead to you with Andrew. And then just can't turn. And then on the three words and walk away there's that big soaring harmony turn, it's that almond
1: brothers yeah. it's that florida man i florida. can just feel it
2: it's that skinnerd it's i that, love
1: that you it's, said it's, that man because we we're like what kind of music can you play i'm like florida music you know yes yeah. it's this hodgepodge of all that stuff yeah
2: now you can hear it, man. And it's just, it it's, it's cool. I let harmony just gives me chills, man. When that comes in, oh, it's, thanks, it's, Chris. it's great. It's great. Um, and, and this song, you know, uh, our producer Chris was talking before we got rolling. Uh, he said he heard the song. Uh, it was on someone's front porch recently hanging out and the song just, uh, happened to come on. I'm sure this happens to you, too. I hear this song all the time yeah. to this day. Yeah. It's so, you'll be in supermarkets, yeah. you'll be... Home Depot, CVS, it, yeah. It, it, that's that's awesome, though, man. I, yeah. I, I, I love that for, for my friends. I think that's really cool. You know, this chorus happens, uh, you know, again, the song's right in that perfect pop length, uh, three minutes, 39 seconds, but this chorus happens fast. At 34 seconds, mm-hmm. we're into the first chorus, little drum fill, now the band, full drum beat, we're in...
1: Uh, Say
3: what it is I see in you, wonder if I'll always be with you, words can't say, I
2: can't do, enough to prove, it's all for you. The lyric is, it's hard to say what it is I see in you, wonder if I'll always be with you, words can't say and I can't do, enough to prove it's all for you. And you guys are harmonizing all the way through this. So... From your first demo do you remember was was the harmony always or the idea for the harmony always there yeah it was
1: from the very first time i literally bounced those those cassettes back and forth i had three parts on that you know and the low part even uh and it's not a a traditional harmony but it works it 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 works and we always go by by feel how does it feel sometimes it's funny because now when we record we've recorded most of our last 10 years up in nashville And we don't stack harmonies the way record makers typically stack harmonies. You kind of start with what feels good for me and Drew. How does it work for us? Where can we play around? And then can we stick a third on there, fourth on there to make it kind of work? But every once in a while, we'll have to have them kind of go, we want this to sound like, you know, uh, a a normal harmony. We're like, guide us through the normal harmony thing. Otherwise, we're just going to do our own stamp.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting, and I'm sure you've uh, may have wrestled with this as I've gotten older, and I've gotten to become a better singer. Mm-hmm. As has Roger, mm-hmm. our bass player. The harmonies are kind of endless, and there's oh, sometimes yeah. we're like, okay, yeah, <laughs> we're going too left of center here. Yeah. You know, we're we're a punk rock
1: band. Let's let's do the third harmony. Right. And just call it a night. Right. You know. Right. Well, it's like when <laughs> right when do you take the paintbrush off the canvas and go? It's done because you can keep going yeah. and keep going and keep going. Yeah.
2: But it's it's kind it's kind, it's kind of a, a good problem to have when we when we come out of chorus one, uh, the lyric it's all for you. And, and, and real quick before we move on, these lyrics here, you know, it's hard to say what it is I see in you that I, that I just read. Again, is that just that's all stemming from from this relationship?
1: Yeah, it was all. Uh, know, there's there's been times I'm so confused on my resume to you. Um, it was just every it, no matter what happens, uh, I keep ending up back with this person. I keep going around here and here, and we keep ending up back together. And you can't figure it out it's it's one of those you know we all have had those people or have those people that are just were your magnets and sometimes you bounce off of each other but you end up coming back and coming back and so you know it's like a, there's a counting crows song, He says like there's a little bit of maria in every song i write there's a
2: piece of maria you never read
1: And it's like, you know, that's doesn't matter where you go. There's always that person and that that kind of comeback.
2: That's really interesting you say that, because and I'm sure that you've uh, experienced traveling over the world. And it still happens all the time with, with me and the band. People just think of Gainesville as this Mecca, yeah. like like Seattle yeah, yeah. or something. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you got less than Jake against me. Uh, sure. You know, uh, Sister Hazel, Hot Water Music. There's just a, a wealth of talent. Uh, that, that has come out of that city. But uh, for all intents and purposes, it's just this small little college town. Yeah. You, t- to your point, you, you're you're going to keep running into this girl oh, yeah. unless you completely change the ha- places you're hanging out. There's only so many places we hang 100%,
1: out. 100%, man, 100%. And <laughs> even like there's a song I wrote called Champagne and I. And uh, yeah. it was a pretty big song for us. And it was about going to the wedding of an ex, which was a weird thing. But, you know, we all grew up together. And my wife and I, we, we married 25 years this summer. But we, we still we still see people that we dated before. You know what I mean? Uh, they came all yeah. right. It's it's a bizarre little little thing, but you know you wonder how your life may have turned out had you made a, a left turn instead of a right turn, and uh, sure. you know all that crazy stuff. I can't tell you how
2: many fans have come in for uh, every year they do the fest. Oh, yeah. the punk rock festival. Yeah, and people will come up to me like this is so crazy, like, like you know, Gainesville's like a mile in every direction, yeah. then you're out in the country. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, they just had it in their head that, that there's so much right. talent and all these bands that have come out of there.
1: Well, and and think about prior, like, to, to our generation, with all the petty stuff, the Eagles, oh, um, yeah. Stephen Stills, Minnie Ripperton was through here. Mm-hmm. The time period with us, they got, like, Big White Undies guys, um, well, I
2: was gonna say, Patton. And, when when and Adrian, and I thought uh, well, her and Pat were in that band. I mean, you know, even you mentioned Waterdog. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was bands right on the oh, yeah. cusp that like could have could have had this uh, career outside of Gainesville. But what a great place! We touched on this at the top of the show. What a great place to start a band. Yeah. I mean, we felt like I, I just don't know if it would have happened for us in Orlando or Tampa. I agree. I don't know if we would have we would have gotten noticed like we did.
1: Well, I think that Gainesville couple things that I felt during that time uh, that were real important was one, the clubs like Bill Bryson and Andy Levine and different hardback and even Gator Meister, some of these other places, they allowed you to start playing original music and they encouraged it. It wasn't, you have to play Brown Eyed Girl and whatever at this Mm -hmm. place, you know. And then the UF, the the culture at that time was people would feel ownership in us, you know, like, Mm -hmm. like, man, I know those guys. I I go to class with that guy or I, you know, I did shots with that guy two weeks ago, whatever it was, there was an ability to be Marshall low and and everything that happened with the harvest, you know, four squirrels and all that. That's a band to me that could have and should have been as big as any of the, you know, Pearl jam, uh, any of that stuff that came out of the Seattle scene or I mean that record that that example record for me was as good as any record I've ever heard period
2: yeah and 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 briefly for the listeners four squirrels was a band that less than Jake had played with I know you guys yeah. did they did an independent record in 1995 they released a record called example that Ken just mentioned
3: Please just take one, and by the grace of God go out.
2: They were on their way back from the CMJ Festival in New York, either in South Carolina or Atlanta. Uh, it was September of 95, I believe. They blew a van tire, and uh, their tour manager and, and, and two guys in the band lost their lives. It was, it was That was a terrible, it was awful. terrible moment. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, because as much as there were factions and there were different scenes, uh, at the end of the day, we were we were all musicians and we all we all felt for, for one another. And but yeah, going back to what we were talking about, the the talent in that town was just and and yeah, you're right. People took ownership of yeah. us. It's like they'd see me fly on campus yeah. or they'd see me, you know, at the
1: bars hanging out. I remember Jerry Kennedy and what it is. Remember that? First? Oh, yeah. So they were great. Jerry was great. I remember talking to Jerry and going, you know, hey, we got this gig and. You know, Columbus, Georgia. Here's the guy's name. And he would give me like the name of some club owner in Orlando. And we started all pushing in the same direction. And that's how the scene, in my opinion, happened. Whether there were factions or genres, there was still the desire to take things to the next level and the desire to push things forward in the same direction. It wasn't really a battle of the bands, it was more there's some shit going on here. There's some energy going on here.
2: It's hard to talk to people unless you were there and you lived it. Like it was yourself. unbelievable. It feels like it feels like it feels like you're bragging. Yeah. Or it feels like oh, shut up, grandpa. Yeah, yeah your stories from the past. <laughs> but man, it was a special it time. Was, I, I, it was. I'm I'm, 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 you can't, you can't see my face, but I'm smiling ear to ear right it now, was everybody. Really special. Because it, what a beautiful, beautiful time to be alive. Coming out of chorus one, we're straight into to, to verse two. That side stick drum uh, on the snare is happening with the kick kick pattern. Just kind of brought everything down. Uh, the lyric for verse two is and I thought I'd seen it all, cause it's been a long, long time. Oh, but then we'll trip and fall, wondering if I'm blind.
1: Yeah, I I have to preface, none of this, I think is lyrically genius. It's genius enough that I'm hearing it at Home Depot (laughs) in 2021, (laughs) Ken. Well, sometimes it's it's just a straight, say it, tell it how it is. You know, I thought I'd seen it all, it's been a long, long time. It was about being in a long-term relationship, and that wasn't just me, it was my friend watching them, but then something out will get you out of left field. And what, you know, am I blind to what's really going on? Do I have my, my, my horse blinders on? Am I just in this little, um, echo chamber of, of relationship? Um, and then we just went right back in and kept it simple. Well,
2: I'm, I'm glad you said the word simple. Mm-hmm. I think that's what makes this song work. I, I don't think it uh, needed to be these uh, Lou Reed, Bob Dylan-esque uh, uh, lyrics. You don't really understand what they mean. And si- simplistic in the sense we get to pre-chorus two, which is the same as pre-chorus yeah. one. Yeah. Why mess with it? Yeah. it's pre- And this this part has a pre-chorus setup. It's become, and when I watch the live videos and I've seen you guys play this live, this part, people are singing as loud as the chorus. Absolutely. They they really are this is Absolutely. such a hook and again it's there's been time and i don't believe i mentioned this the um the first uh pre-chorus but i want to talk about it on the there's been time over panned off in the left speaker it sounds like this stratocaster just electric guitar yeah. just comes in but i think ryan's playing yeah. that and it's just it's so good it's just like this little tasteful thing there that's just that just really makes that part
1: if i'm alive
2: so on that line, There's Been Time, the electric guitar comes in, Andrew uh, does the call and response with I'm so confused, all my roads, will they lead to you, that's Andrew, uh, just can't turn, and then both of you, and walk away, and there's that harmony that lifts, yeah. just soars into chorus two, which again... If it's not broke, don't fix it. Chorus 2 is the same as chorus 1. I'm going to read it again. It's hard to say what it is I see in you. Wonder if I'll always be with you. Words can't say and I can't do. Enough to prove it's all for you. And do you ever recall Paul Eversold or anybody in the studio, you know, when you're when you're tra- tracking this particular song, uh, to say, hey, maybe we should change up the second or third chorus. Or, or was it always, always
1: going to be the same? Mark, our drummer, was the one who talked about trying to Change it. And uh, you have already done that. He wasn't so sure it was a quote unquote hit. He was like, I oh, don't know. I don't know. Hey, we need to tweak this a little bit. And I was, I held on pretty tightly to that. And I was like, I think this is really just about, I don't want to overthink this. I will say the sim- simple things and bringing people in, like you talked about by 34 seconds, I think the chorus hits. Yeah.
0: You know, if
1: you'll listen to that record, you said that arpeggiated, I'll grab It's like a that. I don't have a pick, but yeah. it's just, I always, I always wanted within three or four seconds, people to know, oh, that's that song. That's that song. Mm-hmm. We're unhappy. Da-na, da-na. You know, champagne high has the little, acoustic, you know, and so that and song, you're, in. you're like, as soon as that arpeggiated G it's people know, Oh, it's that song. We were in the chorus by there. And hey, this, the song, I always saw people just wanting to sing that.
2: Chorus. It's interesting you say that because again, this song was a to me a proven hit before you you recorded it for some, somewhere more familiar because you know a lot of choruses it'll be the same refrain the same lyric yeah, yeah, over and yeah, yeah. over that's what a chorus is. There's there's a bit of information here. Yeah, yeah yeah you yeah, know, yeah, yeah but. But, but what else could it be? Right. It's perfect. It works. And you you guys knew it worked, man. I, I, Like I said, I used to see you play this at the Swamp, <laughs> just you and Andrew. And people were singing it before it ever got on the radio. Crazy, That's right? That's huge. Yeah, it was crazy. It was huge. It was crazy. Yeah. We get into a 15-second bridge. I love this bridge uh, because it's, uh, you know, it's what a bridge is supposed to be. It's this little departure. Rain
1: comes down. Falling from
3: me.
2: Rain comes pouring down, and then Andrew his call and response. He's saying pouring down, falling from blue skies, and he's saying falling from blue skies. Words without a sound, and then on this line, coming from your eyes, and that's where I put Ken and Andrew killer harmony, a la Almond Brothers,
1: awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thanks, man. That <laughs> just gives me chills, man. That's just coming from your eyes, it just lifts there. It's so good. Thanks, man. It was it was that southern thing right into right into our secret weapon, Ryan Newell. He's like the Mike Campbell secret weapon of the band. And yeah, we just wanted it to lift and take off like you were flying right there. And uh, Ryan's job taking, like you said, a song that was acoustic and making it something that's a little bit more of a, of a live energy thing, uh, just come up with some a, a solo people can sing.
2: I was just gonna say the solo is singable it's not overthought. It's not uh, trying to be uh, some kind of Eddie Van Halen wizardry. Yeah. It's twenty. It's a twenty-second long, uh, twenty-eight-second long guitar solo, and it's over the chorus chord progression. Yeah. So, it's, so you're getting that chorus yes. feel. Yeah. There's this guitar solo that's happening. It's not too flashy. It's not too simple. It, it it works perfect for that part. And I love how we come back. We drop into a verse three after yes. this. And every everything just comes down. And it's the same drum feel as the top, that side stick with the kick drums. Uh, and we're coming back to the, the actual first verse. It's you know the what? same
1: exact. I'm thing. just remembering this now as you're saying that. I think I tried to write... A sort of wrap it up last verse, and it just never felt right. Like, like man, yeah, that's not yeah. it.
2: That's not it. What I like about this, the way it makes me feel as a listener, is it makes me feel like I'm reminiscing, right? And I'm reminiscing of the very beginning of this song. Finally, I figured out, but it took a long, long time. Now there's a turnabout, maybe because I'm trying. And then we get the pre-chorus again. Yeah.
1: Well, there, there's know, a thing about this song where it's about. It's about being stuck and being unstuck, being stuck. You know, it's that, it's that, am I here? Do I need to go? Am I, can I commit? Can I get It's that loop that people get in in relationships.
2: Well, no, it, and it's perfect. And not a lot of times do you get three, three pre choruses in a song. But again, this part is so integral and so catchy and singable. that it has to. It's singable. Yeah. It has to be there. There's been time I'm so confused and all my roads will they lead to you? I just can't turn and then and walk away. There's that soaring harmony and you think you're coming into the chorus, but nope. It's the breakdown chorus. Just
1: can't turn and walk away. For
2: you. And that's just so, so Americana, just feel good. Let's clap our hands. Uh, it, it, it's perfect.
1: You know, to this day, um, we can play that song in Korea or, you know, Muskegon, Michigan. And we get to that part <laughs> and it lights people up and they sing it. And what, as songwriters, it's just, you know, it's a gift to have something like that that can make people feel that good and and it's just part of people's musical dna uh, you know it's it 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 just lights them up for 20 seconds and we have a big time
2: and i can't think of two uh, uh different places than korea and muskegon michigan it's I'm telling uh, you man that's... it's <laughs> weird thing it's, it's banging thing <laughs> The harmonies, and, and I had mentioned this before, these were in my notes, the harmonies aren't just stuck together on a grid. There's no. this push and pull, and you can really hear it in this breakdown. Uh, it's hard to say what it is I see in you, wonder if I'll always be with you. Words can't say and I can't do. Enough to prove. And on that time when you both say prove in my notes i put it really sticks out this time mm-hmm. it's really rubbing it's not anywhere near lined up but that human emotion yeah and that low part is like prove it kind of
1: drops it
2: yeah it's a strange harmony yes. it's a strange harmony yeah. but it works perfectly uh it's all for you um i wrote again that the drums have kind of the feel of the verses in the
1: pre-choruses yeah. here in
2: the breakdown
1: Marka uh, has a jazz background so that drum fill like going into that first chorus and uh, some yeah. of that. you can hear a little bit of that. It's funny, he's got a lot of different things that he does, but some of those fills really show some of that jazz background.
2: Well, it comes out with a cool little fill. We're into chorus three. Um, same lyrics as, as, as the other choruses. And then at the very end, uh, after you say it's all for you, there's just kind of this tasteful guitar lick solo that comes back in right there. And then you got a little wrap up here. Yeah. A little little uh little outro. The song, oh, oh. song, the song ends. Yeah. that little refrain there was that always there from the beginning, or did you Yeah, that was there. The baby, I, wanna... um,
1: I was having so much fun. It was just one of those times I was in the zone. Bouncing things back. And it was just from that very first demo on that cassette, it was, all right, let's add this harmony and then this low part. And then can there be a counter melody? And that was kind of the counter melody that was going on over that whole thing. And then I just slid it to the end and uh, it worked.
2: And again, as as you get older, I don't know what it is. There's just something... I get sentimental thinking about those times you're talking about, talking about in the 90s. Sure. And I'm just... I'm happy for all my friends. This is all that we ever wanted to do since yeah, man. we were knee-high to a grasshopper was playing That's music. Right. And the fact that that you can have a song connect from uh, as you said to Korea to uh, Muskegon Michigan yeah. that's a that's a beautiful thing Ken, thanks, man Chris. you guys are i'm 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 proud of you and I'm I'm so stoked to call you a friend uh you know thanks for for coming on today at, at this point I'd like to uh to leave the listeners with anything that you have going on I know that uh that you and your bandmates had founded Lyrics for Life yeah. are you still doing doing Lyrics yeah, for Life
1: actually you know when I was a teenager I was 16 my little brother was 14 he was diagnosed with a T-cell lymphoma and he died when he was 18 I was 20 and you know look those were times I was already in bands you know you're chasing girls you're partying you're trying to balance school and I was dealing with you know cancer mortality yeah. all this stuff and it was a uh, it was heavy you don't get through that unscathed and so as we got yeah. a platform to kind of call attention to things you know we've always felt uh, if our vehicle could be used for different things like that, it was a, a, a good part of our our fingerprint. You know, we it comes easily for us, but we wanted to really focus on something uh, that meant something to us. And with Lyrics for Life, we've raised over $3 million for cancer charities, Ooh, um, childhood cancer. <laughs> we started a little camp out at Camp Crystal called Camp Hazelnut. where We bring these kids and their families. We scholarship them out to Camp Crystal. They come out for the weekend. They do rope courses, you know, swimming, archery. Um, and so. Lyrics for Life is going on. We didn't get to do any events this year because of all the COVID stuff, but we'll be back on next year. But other than that, man, you know, our our career has also been about community and the hazelnuts, as they call them.
2: That's your fan club. They call themselves the hazelnuts. Yep. And, and you know, 20
1: years ago, we started that thing called the Rock Boat. And we were the yep. first band to kind of charter a cruise ship and take out other bands and start a festival out there. And so we're going on 21 years uh, with the Rock Boat. And uh, it's been great. You know, we've had platinum selling bands to baby bands. And our hope is that if you come for a band that that you're a fan of, that you'll leave with your next favorite band. Because we were that band, you know, like you guys. We were trying to win over uh, the the people. And so the Rock Boat's been a great thing. Uh, we do a thing called the Hazelnut Hang, take over different clubs and cities to these three day weekends. But, you know, we're still staying busy, man. Still on a regular year doing, you know, 100 shows or so, still putting out records and, and, uh, still getting to talk to nice folks like you.
2: Right on, man. Well, hey, again, thank you so much for for jumping on. Uh, Check out Lyrics for Life online if you could donate uh, to uh, the organization. It's a wonderful organization. Over $3 million raised. That is beautiful.
1: We do great things with research and and kids. 100% we don't make any, everybody's volunteer and it all goes directly to research or programs to help out these families
2: awesome again that's lyrics for life and check out uh, the sister Hazel Cruz when they go back out check out uh, their new music they're still doing it they're still out there they're still rocking and uh, congratulations thanks man
1: good talking to you Chris
0: I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time a secular religion if you will
2: with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. The show. Here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song and bio to bandyoumightnotknow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Decent Criminal from Santa Rosa, California. Tristan and Hunter Martinez are joined by Brian Gelman and Alex Cuninos. You can find their music on all the streaming services, and here's a snippet of their song, Reap.
3: The wrap with Chris and Chris.
0: That was really cool to hear two Gainesville boys talking to each other, man. Yeah, a lot, lot, of, a uh,
2: lot of history with the Sister Hazel guys. They, like I said, we, we both, we both cut our teeth in
0: Gainesville. That's where we got our starts. I felt like I could really relate to what you guys were saying about Gainesville. Gainesville being a big college town, but it's not like it's New York City or Chicago or LA or something. It's still got that small town feel to it. And that's I'm from Pittsburgh, so. When someone's successful from Pittsburgh, whether it's Anti-Flag or whether it's Wiz Khalifa and Mac Miller, you feel extra attached to them, and I kind of got that sense in what you guys were saying about Gainesville.
2: Yeah, there's just a there's just a camaraderie there, and especially talking about like the '90s when we got on that trip, and I was like, man, it's just I get sentimental thinking about it sometimes. It was, you know, a lot of it was we were young. There was all the firsts and all the new. The, the, the new things that come along with uh you know being in a young band but man it was just uh it was a melting pot a great place for musicians and artists to 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 collide and and the camaraderie was uh was amazing friendships uh, to this day i I know so many people such as Ken that I can just get on with I haven't talked to Ken in a while and you you just pick pick right
0: up where you left off it was really cool to hear him talk about the fact that that they had been playing All For You for years. So they already had, it was already crowd tested that that song was a hit amongst people before it became a hit among the country or the world or whatever. It was already proven among people that knew and liked the band. And that's rare you hear about that. That's the first time I can really remember talking about that. On this podcast, because usually you record a song, you put it out there, and you see people's reaction to it. Well, it sounds like they had seen for years how people felt about
2: Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I had seen them play play the song before they ever recorded it for this record. It was it was a hit in Gainesville. Men, women, girls, boys singing this song at the top of their lungs, just feeling it, you know? And these guys have a bunch of great songs. Happy, as we mentioned, Change Your Mind, Champagne High. Uh, but, you know, this was their, obviously their, their breakout and their biggest hit. It was obvious to go for this song, but it was also about the story of this song. I was really interested to talk to him about that and say, hey, did you know, you had to know there was, and he, he did. He said there was something special with the song. They, they knew it.
0: I feel like I could have told you that this song was a hit from the first time I heard it, whether it was on the radio or on a cassette tape or wherever. There's just something about this song, man.
2: No, there is. And, and, and he knew that when he was taking those boom boxes with cassettes and, you know, doing the poor man's multi-tracking. And he, he showed it to his parents. He said, you know, if I never write another song or whatever, th- this is kind of the one. And th- he knew it. There was something something definitely, definitely special uh, about this song. And it's... Look... Most bands don't ever have a hit single. It's very difficult. There's so much competition. And, and hell, there's songs we talked about on the show before that there's songs that I have in my collection that are hits. They just. Didn't, you know, didn't catch on to the masses for whatever reason. But, you know, if, if the right band and right time uh, would have recorded that song, it, it was a hit. But you don't get many of those chances. And just the fact that uh, I love seeing people that, that are appreciative. They're, they're known, a lot of these guys sometimes are known as one-hit wonders, whether uh, fairly or unfairly. But Ken's appreciative. This song, <laughs>
0: look, they're still here in 2021. It's, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, you guys referenced that the song gets played in CVS and Home Depot still today. And we've had several of those songs uh, on this podcast, whether you're talking about Robin Wilson talking about the bunch of Jim Blossom songs that still get played at the grocery store, or even, you know, Lit, My Own Worst Enemy. I was just yesterday, I was somewhere and I heard that song come on. I'm like, damn, listen to that. You know, so that has to be like an absolutely amazing feeling <laughs> it is. and and these guys were complete
2: road dogs, too. I mean, they weren't just sitting around. Uh, they weren't just some contrived major label band. And I think that's why they have lasting power. They harnessed what they achieved in Gainesville. and i'm gonna I'm gonna reference lesson, Jake again. We did the same thing. We just took those people in Gainesville, and we moved them to Daytona we moved them to Orlando, we moved them to Tampa, to Fort Lauderdale, and we just kept building and building. Uh, And that's what these guys did. They're still, like Ken said, over 100 dates a year. They're doing their cruise and uh, and more power to them.
0: Another thing that you guys talked about in this episode that I thought was really cool is you talked about the push and pull of harmonies. When you're not Locked into something, whether you're in Logic or Pro Tools or whatever, just like you're saying, you can look at the waves. If they're not lined up, then your instinct is to be like, oh, that's not right. I want those to be lined up perfectly. But when you have that little bit of whatever you want to call it, rub or imperfection to it, it sounds more real. It sounds more human. And it doesn't have that, I don't know, (laughs) computerized, uh, uh, manufactured sound that you know, we instinctively go towards that. We want perfection, but the, the imperfection is just human. Oh well, yeah, and
2: I mean, these guys were the real deal from the moment that I saw them. When when Ken and Andrew were just doing acoustic stuff before, you know, they were doing a bunch of stuff with the band. And like I said, they were playing everywhere. He referenced a bunch of places that I had had written down in in, in my notes: uh, the Swamp, Rick I mean, these were all college hangouts that would get packed. And these guys were packing the places, you know, and they were doing doing really well for themselves. But, um, you know, this is just again, it's a it's a feel good story of wor- hard work and determination. That's what these guys were about. And, and uh, but
0: again, they're, they're still doing it. I thought it was cool when Ken mentioned not overthinking a song, which with this song, this chorus, these lyrics, those melodies, you don't need to overthink it. It's going to get stuck in people's heads and come pouring out of their mouths (laughs) the second they hear it. I mean, I think you can listen to this song one time and be able to sing along to it and they didn't overthink it and look at it. It still a hit all these years later. Well, and and I think by the time they recorded it for
2: a third time for the somewhere more familiar record that the the, the song that we all know now, the the radio staple, this version. By the time they recorded this, they, they really didn't have to mess with the the simplicity of it. They it was kind of a proven hit. All those people in Gainesville that were say it was really amazing to see that that people were singing a song that hadn't been recorded yet. You know that's. Uh, That just goes to show you how, like you said, a hit song, sometimes it's just so undeniably catchy, and that's why I had pressed him about this chorus. There's quite a bit of information here, but was there ever uh, the thought of of having more or having it stripped down? He's like, no, it's kind of always what it was.
0: It just worked from the get-go. Hey, one more thing I thought was cool in this episode, this was brought up early in the conversation, but I was thinking about, especially in the 90s, maybe in the early 2000s, the power of the compilation album. And, you know, that it was some sort of charity compilation that this song was part of was the first place it was released, uh, I believe. Uh but, you know, in punk rock music we knew all about punkarama or uh the Fat Records comps or the Vagrant Records comps, like how those could break bands and artists. And it's almost like nowadays you have Playlists, whether it's a Spotify playlist or something like that. But these compilation CDs just made bands' careers. And it sounds like I've always known that from the punk rock world, but even outside of the punk rock world it sounds like that was the thing no it,
2: it it was because now you're using the power of 10 12 15 20 other bands fan bases to get your band noticed you know so it I I said it in the show it kind of uh, it's poor man's social media in a sense you know you're you're using other uh, bands fan bases to uh, ignite your own
0: and plus those people that were perusing the record store those comps were always like, three or four bucks and you'd pick them up and you'd be like, oh, look at all these bands on here. And it was just such a deal. I think that was part of it, too. That was back in the day when you might just pick something up that you haven't heard before. And because it was cheap, be like, oh, I'm going to buy this. Well, speaking of cheap, Chris, uh, since no one's buying CDs
2: anymore, uh, they can certainly afford a buck or two uh, to this month's fundraiser, right? Don't you think
0: That is very true. No one's paying for music anymore, so you could at least contribute to our fundraiser this month.
2: Well, it's not that no one's paying for music, but it's not on the grand scale it was back in the day. So please, if you can, head over to com and give to this month's fundraiser, which is the National Brain Tumor Society. Uh, Your donations will go to research and treatment towards a cure for brain cancer, which, at the moment, is an inoperable and incurable disease. So, any help you can give—a dollar, five, ten—I uh, head over to KristaMakesADifference.com. Uh, we we greatly appreciate each and every one
0: of you that uh, that can give. That's very true. I know we talk about it every week, but uh, the listeners of the podcast are very generous. We can't thank you guys enough. It's always awesome, and these foundations that we are raising funds for each month are always very appreciative. As are we, you make our podcast look good. It's you, not us. We're just, we're just the messengers. You guys make it happen.
2: Yeah. You know, uh, but there are certainly private donors out there that give and, and whatnot, but, uh, the, the letters that we've gotten back from some of these organizations and foundations have just been heart, uh, heartwarming. They've just been so, you know, thank you so much. We've had a rough month. Uh, the, the, the pandemic, uh, et cetera, it has been really tough on on getting uh, money for research. So thanks to each and every one of you for, uh, for your generosity. Chris and I really appreciate it, as do all the organizations. Uh, if you haven't given me a follow on Instagram yet, please do. Tell your neighbor, tell your, tell your grandmother that just decided to get an Instagram.
0: It's free to follow you. It's absolutely free to follow less than Chris D on Instagram. So you might as well give him a follow. Please do. And uh, I'm still writing those custom songs. I'll
2: write you, a loved one, that special someone in your life, a custom song, your very own song. It could be for a birthday, a wedding, an anniversary, a graduation party, a retirement party. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you hate your boss. I'll write you a song that, uh, you know, you don't like your boss. I'd be, I'd be glad to do that. So head over and shoot me an email, KristaMakes at gmail.com for more info on that. And uh, if you haven't uh, joined our Facebook group, the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group, please do I want to give a shout out to a couple members this month, Mr. Dan Lenane and Miss Christy Allen. Thank you for being part of our group, and thanks to everybody that's in the group. It's free to join, and we'd love for you to join as well. And speaking of cool things, uh, my man Chris here, he does some really cool enamel pins through his Etsy shop. Chris, tell him
0: about it. Yeah, man. If you're looking to spice up your hoodie or your backpack or your jacket or your hat, I have an Etsy shop full of enamel pins at iloveenamelpins.com. They're great as an inexpensive gift for a friend or loved one, or as a little treat for yourself. I have pins of everyone and everything, from Mr. Rogers to Betty White, Nicolas Cage to Meryl Streep, cats, dogs, you name it. I've always thought enamel pins were neat, and I've just been, you know, building up my inventory and selection over the years. Uh, so yeah, I love enamelpins.com, and if you use the discount code ChrisDemakes at checkout. You'll get 30% off your order. <laughs> hey, Mom, if you're, if you're listening, I'm now a
2: discount code. I made it. Yes, Okay. It took, me, it, took me, it took me this long, but, but I finally made it. Yeah. Uh, thanks to each everyone of you for listening this week. It's been another great show. I want to thank my friend Ken Block of Sister Hazel for sitting in with us, and we'll see you next week.
3: Step into the world of power, loyalty
0: Oh,